You are a wise woman and your love story matters. It matters because it belongs to you. It's what you know and where you live. Mostly, it matters to God, the source of all wisdom. What happened to you growing up matters because it's how you learned about life and love and what you believe about the source of all wisdom. Your story's taught you a lot about who you are and has taught you a lot about other people. Some of what you learned is true, some isn't. That's what a wise woman's podcast is all about. Hello, I'm Dr. Debbie, and I've been helping men, women, and couples grow together for more than 25 years. Now it's your turn to learn what I learned and taught as a couples counselor and university professor. You are the wise woman, and this is your personal development podcast packed with instant encouragement and practical tips and men can learn about women too because this is a safe place where women are valued and men are respected. We talk about biology, socialization, behavior, emotions, communication, and connection because men and women are different. Always have been, always will be, and that's a very good thing. Hello, I'm Dr. Debbie and I'm here to help. Of course, I can't help everyone with everything, but I can help some people with some things, like love and marriage. In the summer of 2021, I closed my clinical practice and decided to launch a whole new endeavor called A Wise Woman's Guide to Men and Marriage. Now, a lot of folks were thinking that I'm saying I'm the wise woman, and although I have some wisdom, that actually isn't what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is I'm the guide to the wise woman, and the wise woman is you. That's pretty cool, isn't it? That's why I value what you have to say. I value your experience. I know the struggles you're having because I've been there too. My parents split up before I turned three years old, and I didn't see my dad for 37 years. Now, if that doesn't leave you confused about men, I don't know what does. Then I married at 18, had three sons, and ended up divorced. Three sons. You know, I had to figure out guys. So believe me when I say I know what it's like not knowing which way is up to try to figure out how to create a better life. That's why I started studying men. I went to college, I went to grad school, and I worked in counseling with men for more than 20 years. Oftentimes men and their wives, and sometimes just the wives. So I've had a lot of experience in the field of relationships. And I've learned that a wise woman has the ability to write and rewrite her own love story because she has far more power than she realizes to change situations and circumstances. But she needs to develop three qualities. First, she needs to be brave. She needs to be brave enough to want to learn the truth about what relationships look like and what a man's experience is, particularly his experience of her in their relationship. That's sometimes hard to hear. Most men won't tell their wives what their experience is like. I know because I've been listening to men talk about their hopes and their fears for more than 20 years. So when I tell you this is what he's experiencing, there's a 99% chance I'm right in telling you what it's like for him. Nobody else is going to do that. He's certainly not. He doesn't want to hurt your feelings and he doesn't want to make you angry. So he keeps his pain to himself and leads a life of quiet desperation. You know, that famous quote fits far too many men. And it takes a brave woman to be able to consider a man's experience. You'll need to find the answers through some tough questions such as, how does he experience me? 
What things have I believed about him that just aren't true? Second, a wise woman needs to be confident. She needs the confidence to put into practice to experiment with what she learns about men. I'm really very big on giving practical advice, and I'll often suggest that you try something and then let me know what happens. But it takes a confident woman to step out and actually do that. If you're timid about it, you won't even try. But if you have confidence that there is a solution to every problem and that you have the ability to discover it, you will be willing to give it a try. And if it doesn't work, then it doesn't work. And you move on to the next strategy. That's why I'm here as a coach, to help you figure out that next strategy. Third, a wise woman maintains consistent focus on goodness. She's focused on receiving goodness from the source of all wisdom. She's also focused on creating goodness in her life. That is, she doesn't get caught up in negativity. Instead, she dwells on whatever is good and right and pure, and she brings goodness to everyone she encounters. Now, that doesn't mean she's always happy and upbeat. It means that her bottom line goal is to find goodness and multiply it in her own life, in her own relationships, in her own family, and in the world. Each person is unique, and every love story matters. That means your love story matters. If you don't like the chapter you're in, just remember you don't have to be a victim or a villain. You can take charge, upgrade, and write a powerful story going forward. Yes, there will always be challenges. Heroines always face challenges. That's life. And life is designed to be difficult. More importantly, you were designed to be victorious. I've heard a lot of stories. In each case, people telling the story had more power than they realized in the moment. As their therapist, it was my job to help them connect with their own superpower. As I mentioned, I worked with men, women, couples, and families for 25 years before closing my clinical psychology practice in August of 2021. Now, living in Central Texas, I'm dedicated to teaching you what I learned as a professor and couples counselor. Yes, I, I could retire, but then again, I can't. To understand my passionate desire to see you succeed, you might want to know more about my own love story. So here's the longer but still highly condensed version. Part one of my love story went like this. I was born a blue-eyed blonde who was the apple of her daddy's eye. But shortly before I turned three, my mom packed her friend's car with some essential belongings and left town with my older brother and me in the back seat while my dad was at work. He had no idea what was coming. None of us did. Now, we were always safe and mom took very good care of us. But for most of my life, I experienced a haunting loneliness that I couldn't explain and didn't understand until more than 37 years later. My mother did everything she could to keep me from my father. She told everyone he was deceased. Fortunately, I didn't know what that meant when I was a kid. I just didn't remember much about him. Just a few flashes here and there of his presence now and then, but not enough to miss him, at least not consciously. My mother had been abused as a child, and she was very confused about men and their behavior. She adored my uncles, but she didn't trust any other men, including my dad. So she poured herself into being a mom and helping others. A very creative woman, 
She spent her days cooking and baking and sewing beautiful dresses for me with all kinds of ribbons and bows. I love to dress up. But life wasn't simple, and most lessons were really painful. Being from a divorced family was much more unique in those days than it is now, and it was apparently something for a child to be ashamed of. I didn't realize that until my Bluebird troop visited our local radio station when I was seven. You may not even know what a Bluebird was. Our town was so small we didn't have Girl Scouts, so instead of being a brownie, I was a Bluebird. One Saturday, our troop took a field trip to the local radio station. The announcer engaged in a live interview with each of the girls. I was so energetic, all twirls and smiles, and so excited to get to be on the radio. When the man came to me, he asked the same questions he'd asked the others, but there seemed to be something very wrong with my answers. What's your name? Debbie. What does your daddy do? Oh, I don't have a daddy. The expression on the nice announcer's face changed drastically, and he quickly removed the microphone from in front of me and started talking to the next bluebird. I was immediately flooded with an overwhelming sense of shame. It was clear to me that I'd said something terribly wrong, but no one told me what it was, and I was way too afraid to ask. So I just filed that experience away under an enduring belief about myself. There's something drastically wrong with you. But no one is ever going to tell you what it is. No one will give you the slightest clue. You'll have to figure it out all by yourself. I've never forgotten that day nor the sadness of my dad's absence. He'd given up on me, abandoned me when I was a toddler. I didn't hear from him again until I was 25. He wrote me a letter when I replied. When I got a second letter, my mother discouraged me from writing back. I was confused and so discouraged, so I gave up on him for another 12 years. In my little girl mind, all along, my dad had left me for some unknowable reason, setting the stage for my belief about my perceived faults and my conclusion that I would always end up alone. What you believe about yourself is powerful. Part two of my love story went like this. Still very unsure of myself, I married at 18 the summer after my 18-year-old husband's first year of college. I worked as a claims processor. He worked part-time and went to school for the next three years. Then six weeks after he graduated with his bachelor's degree, our first son was born. We moved away from our families and had two more sons. Life was good. At least that's what I believed. We were becoming emotionally disconnected. But I didn't know anything else was possible. He got promotions and we moved two more times. Finally, it was my turn to go to college. My dream was about to come true. My youngest was enrolled in preschool two days a week so I could easily take classes on those days. I pre-enrolled for the fall semester. However, without discussing anything with me, my husband asked for a transfer to the home office in the city, almost five hours away. I'd always prided myself on my ability to bloom wherever I had planted. I would put off starting college and stay behind to take care of the boys and sell our home. Fortunately, we were only apart for a few months. We were settled in our new home by October. Then one Sunday afternoon, about 18 months later, after 15 years of marriage, my husband unexpectedly announced he didn't think he wanted to be married anymore. 
Those were his actual words. Needless to say, I was devastated. A hot mess. I'd been a stay-at-home mom for more than a decade, and since we'd recently moved to the new city, I didn't yet have solid friendships. Suddenly, I had to find a job and a babysitter. Now, by that time, I had collected more than enough evidence to build a strong case against men. My dad had abandoned me, and my husband had rejected me. But I had three boys to raise, alone, and they were still pretty little when their dad left. I needed to find a way through my own pain for them. I wanted to do all I could to help them grow up to become healthy men. I determined to become the best woman and mother I could. I didn't do it perfectly, of course. I still had so much to learn about men, but I did my best. Part three of my love story went like this. I found a full-time job as a receptionist for a group of family physicians. My next job was marketing assistant for an avionics manufacturer. I learned to fly airplanes while I was there, which was also very elevating to my own aspirations. It was great fun, but very, very expensive. I soon discovered that any promotion I earned wouldn't actually improve my financial situation by any significant amount, and I would still have to struggle to keep the lights on, the car running, and food on the table for my sons. Nor would it make me a better mother, since I'd be required to travel frequently. Then I got an even better idea. I could still fulfill that dream I thought was lost. So when I turned 40, I finally started college. A group of ladies at my church encouraged me and even gave me a backpack full of school supplies to get me started. I was so excited, but it was a struggle to keep going. My oldest son was sharing an apartment with his best friend, but I still had two sons at home. So I went to school full-time and simultaneously worked multiple part-time jobs just to meet our basic needs. At one point, I was the apartment office manager on Saturday mornings and helped serve banquets at a local restaurant in the evening. My youngest was just learning to drive. All we had was a minivan. One time I stood in the street in front of our house so he could use me as an anchor point so he could learn how to parallel park. Talk about trust. He was driving us home from the mall one Saturday afternoon and I was afraid I was going to be late for work. Traffic was unusually heavy so my son said, Okay, people, you need to make way here. I need to get this psychologist to her waitress job. The boys were actually a great help. My middle son even tutored me in algebra, and we both laugh about that now. I earned my Bachelor of Arts, Master of Arts, and Doctoral degrees back-to-back. Because of my boys, my primary focus throughout my studies was the psychology of men. I even wrote my doctoral dissertation about mothers and sons. With a solitary goal in mind, I studied for 11 and a half years to earn those degrees. Part four of my love story went like this. I became licensed as a clinical psychologist and had the privilege to work with men and their wives in Southern California for more than two decades. I helped launch numerous marriage programs at local churches, training pastors, marriage mentor couples, and even mental health professionals who wanted to learn to work with couples more effectively. Week after week, Year after year, men talked about their experiences. I learned so much from them, and so did their wives. Can you guess which couples improve their marriages the most? First, you need to realize that when a couple is struggling, both husband and wife take on defensive positions. 
They each feel a need for self-protection and instinctively shut down and withdraw or attack, blame, and criticize the other. Most women expected their husbands to make the changes, but because men are far more sensitive and therefore have stronger defenses, they were rarely able to step into the fray until they felt safe. And that could take quite a while. However, when a wife was open to learning about her husband's experience of her, their healing and growth accelerated rapidly. Whenever a wife persisted in her own default mode, they remained stuck. When you know the truth about men, you understand why that is. In short, the woman often holds greater power in the relationship. She usually doesn't realize how easily she can wipe him out, leaving him emotionally powerless. Don't get me wrong here. I'm not saying the woman is responsible for everything. A man's choices are still his to make. But the woman is wise to learn how powerful her words are in her husband's life. I first developed a course on the psychology of men and masculinity when I taught at Azusa Pacific. My students were eager to discuss. Before I could even explain the syllabus and the course requirements, they were already asking questions about men. The women were surprised to hear the truth about men. The men felt understood and really vulnerable. At some point, I realized, you know, it's really all about the girl. After all, God himself said it's not good for the man to be alone. That's why I start out the wise woman's guide with a woman and I end with a woman. And I believe you are that wise woman. Brave, confident, focused on finding goodness in life, or you wouldn't even be here. You're the reason I created this biblically sound, research-based, practical, personal development podcast. I want you to realize and to release your feminine power to inspire, influence, and invite your mate into a beautiful experience of life itself. I want you to know how to get what you want without manipulation, without drama, or even standing on your head. Because every woman needs to know the truth about men. Most of the couples I worked with, even in my former clinical practice, were reasonably healthy individuals. About 75% of men and women could develop new thoughts and behaviors. They just needed to unlearn what they believed about their mates that wasn't actually true. When you know what a man thinks, how he feels, and why he does what he does, instead of what you think he should do, he starts to make more sense to you. You have a much better idea about how to inspire and influence him. You are better equipped to help him become the man God had in mind when he was created. Knowing the truth about a man's makeup and life experiences can help you decide whether he really is unhealthy or he's just different from you. Mostly it's the latter. You know, the bottom line here is I don't want anyone to go through what my family did. I had wasted so much energy with my one-sided efforts to make a beautiful marriage. Despite the bazillion books I checked out from the library, I hadn't the slightest idea how to connect with my husband. No one told me there was an easier way, much less pointed me in the right direction. What I've learned since then has changed my own life. After the fact. Would it have helped the outcome of my first marriage? I don't know. But I still wish I'd known then what I know now. That's the reason I'm creating this podcast for you. You have the advantage of wisdom I had to discover on my own. Because no one teaches this stuff in school 
not even in graduate school. So what about part five of my love story? Well, in case you're wondering, I did fall in love again with the most beautiful man I've ever known. He didn't think, feel, or act like a woman either. Thank goodness for that, right? So I've had the opportunity to apply this wisdom in my own life with amazing results, which proves it's never too late. My approach is not just a theory. It actually works. But you can't just apply techniques. That would be manipulation, not love. You must understand the reason this works so you can apply what you learn with wisdom. I finally learned what it was to be adored, cherished, valued. It was heaven on earth. The love of my life passed away on December 17, 2022, a year ago this weekend. I miss him so much. Flash forward to December 2023. What do I want this year? I want you to enjoy every moment of your love from this day forward for as long as you can. Because life is short, you want to make the most of those moments. And that's why I keep creating content for you. Because I'm here to help. Thank you for listening to this episode of A Wise Woman's Guide to Men and Marriage. What did you think? Did the information raise more questions? Do you want to learn more? Head over to wisewomansguide.com for show notes and links to the resources mentioned in this episode. And if you're looking for other wise women to bounce around ideas and ask questions, be sure to join my exclusive community for women on Facebook. The link is waiting for you at awisewomansguide.com.